Um, Paul was a Jewish follower of Jesus. Um, just to keep it simple, I just said he was an apostle extraordinaire. Paul is the guy that everybody talks about uh, when we think about the New Testament. And so, you know, he wrote uh, many of the books of the New Testament, and he was a prolific leader of the early church. And so then um, next we have his trusty sidekick, Timothy. Um, Timothy was identified in this passage as being both of Jewish and Greek descent. Um, it said that his mother was a Jewess and his father was Greek. Um, we don't know exactly what that means as it relates to his father, but the expectation is that his father was probably an unbeliever and his mother was a Jewish convert. Um, so again, we don't know for sure, but based on the way that the scriptures um, outline it, we think that Timothy had the influence of a Christian mother uh, but had a pagan father, and that also relates to some of why he would have been uncircumcised, even though he was only, he was only half Jewish, and there were a lot of cultural implications for that, and we'll talk about that um, as we work through the passage here this morning. But something else that I think is really interesting about Timothy that's identified in the scriptures is that he was respected and well-liked by his community. So um, Timothy had street cred. He had the ability to navigate different relationships. And it's interesting that he quickly finds favor uh, with Paul. So Paul is like this like dynamic leader in the early church. He comes into relationship with Timothy, and he quickly identifies that Timothy is somebody worth um, having with him. And so it's interesting to me that, that that's true of Timothy. Um, you know, in, in the scriptures, it says that Jesus grew in favor with God and with man. And I always found that to be a fascinating passage, but I think Timothy was probably a bit like that himself. Um, he had favor with God, and he had favor with people. Um, also, Timothy was committed to the mission. And when I say that, you know, I was thinking of a, a synonym for commitment, and I think it could be circumcision. Um, Timothy was an adult man when he came into relationship with Paul, and they thought that it would be more culturally acceptable for Timothy to be circumcised because the Jews in that area knew who he was. And so they knew that he was Greek, uh, of Greek descent as well. But um, in an attempt to be culturally sensitive, Timothy makes an incredible sacrifice and is circumcised as, as an adult. I feel like we've talked about circumcision maybe like two or three of the last like several weeks. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, kids, if you want to know more about that, talk to your parents. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, Timothy was committed. Um, and I also mentioned that he quickly finds favor with Paul. Um, moving along, we have Lydia. Um, Lydia is a fascinating character to me in this story. Um, she's identified as a businesswoman, um, who dealt in purple cloth. And so what we know is, um, based on the nature of the industry and the business that she was in, um, she was most likely wealthy. We also can surmise that from the fact that it says that she owned a home or had a home and that she had a household of people that worked for her. Um, but she was a businesswoman, uh, believed to have been wealthy. Um, it seems as though she was influential. Uh, she was a transplant, uh, meaning that she wasn't from Philippi. Um, she was actually from another region across the Aegean Sea and had been transplanted um, to that area where she clearly had found some level of favor and success. Um, she also is identified as a Gentile worshiper of God. And so that's interesting to me too because she would have been sympathetic to the God of the Jews or to their views. 
And then it's after she encounters Paul and his friends at the river uh, that she comes to faith in Jesus Christ. But um, prior to that, she had been a believer in God. Um, I also um, note there that she's identified as being hospitable. Um, After she comes to faith, she opens her home to Paul and his companions. As I was thinking about uh, this character, Lydia, I sometimes think about, like, you know, um, more uh, contemporary uh, parallels that we can draw from that. And this isn't contemporary, but I was, like, thinking to myself, this thought occurred to me actually just yesterday, that um, Lydia was like the Coco Chanel of her day. Um, You know, she was like this, like, fashion icon, right? And she had wealth and influence, and people um, wanted to be around her. Different than Coco Chanel, Lydia goes to, like, she comes to find Jesus, and she begins to use Uh, that influence for the sake of the kingdom of God. Um, Maybe a more relevant example for us would be she was like the Joanna Gaines of the ancient world, right? It's like this lady that's found all kinds of success in business. Um, She's self-described as a serial entrepreneur. It's like she can't help herself. She keeps getting into new and different things, and she finds incredible success in that, Um, but yet she gives all the credit to God for the things that he's done in her life. And so, yeah, when I think about Lydia... Um, I just also think about her influence. Um, She was persuasive, right? Um, It says that after she came to faith, that she brought her family into faith with her um, and that they were baptized. She was also persuasive. Um, She invited Paul and his companions to stay. And Paul doesn't, it doesn't doesn't appear as though that that was like their initial inclination because it says that she persuaded them and they stayed. So she was an influencer. Also, um, we have Silas. Silas was a leader of the early church. Um, Not as much is said about him as somebody like the Apostle Paul, but I can tell you from what we see in Scripture, um, and this is something that we should all desire to have on our resume, we talk about the fivefold um, here, the Apostle, the Prophet, the Evangelist, the Shepherd, and the Teacher. Um, Silas was that guy. He embodied all these things. He was a teacher, a preacher, a prophet, a missionary, evangelist, a worshiper, and he was a steadfast companion of the Apostle Paul. Um, help me out here this morning. I was trying to think, again, of some of these like connecting points. Um, if Paul was Batman, Silas was... All right. And if uh, Paul was Butch Cassidy, Silas was... All right. Okay, I just wanted to make sure we covered like, more than one generation. Clarence, I knew I could count on you. For Butch and Sundance, if nobody else, Bill McGill, probably seen that movie a couple of times, right? Um, so yeah, those two were like, like, you know, steadfast companions. And what's interesting to me too is um, Silas possessed everything that Paul did, right? Um, Silas possessed um, the authority in Christ that Paul did, and yet they went and did ministry together. And so, yeah, just a, um, another amazing example of faithfulness in, in the Lord. Um, next character, we're going to roll through these quickly so we can move this forward a bit. Um, The last one here was the jailer. Um, I said that the jailer was a man under authority. He knew that he worked for somebody that was in power, right? Because if the thought that the the prisoners had escaped, his decision is to what? To kill himself. He knew that the the consequences for that having happened on his watch were incredibly um, powerful. Um, and devastating. And so he thought that the better resort was um, to take his own life. And so he was a man under authority, and he took his job seriously. Um, But yet I also said that he must have been a really sound sleeper, because if you look at the way that it's written in the scriptures, 
it says that like after the earthquake and after like the prison doors are open and after the chains are loosed, what happened? He woke up. And I'm thinking, what was he doing? Like, I mean, this guy must have been like quite the sleeper um, to have slept through all of that. And after the earthquake, it's like, oh, 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 oh what, what happened? You know, it's like, where have you been, buddy? Like, uh, the, the, God just shook the earth. Um, welcome to the party. Um, I also said that he was desperate for salvation. I don't think that he knew that before his encounter with Paul and Silas and the events in the prison, but he knew that he was lost, right? He knew that he was broken. He knew that he, was, that he needed some place to belong. Um, and so it's interesting to me that somewhere that that had been very apparent in his life. And so when God presents um, the gospel to him through Paul and Silas, um, he jumps on it. And then um, the last thing I have there is that, interestingly enough, not only was Lydia hospitable, uh, but the jailer was hospitable too, right? He brings him back to his home, and it says he dresses their wounds um, and that his family comes to faith. Um, So it's interesting to me too that there's a sense of invitation on the part of these two new converts. Two new converts. Um, They're so excited about what God has done in their lives. They immediately recognize the change. And what do they want to do? They want to invite other people into it, and they start with their family. And so when I think about this story, um, because we don't have a lot of time, I want to just maybe share with you four thoughts about what I think that God could be saying through these stories. Um, By no means is this intended to speak to every element in this passage. There's so many cool things that happen um, in Acts chapter 16, so I'd encourage you to continue to mull it over uh, throughout the week. I will also tell you um, that that is probably the least clever catchy list of things for you to take home for all of you note takers out there. Um, My four things that God might be saying to us as we read through these stories, um, I I struggle to come up with like cool, clever ways to say these things. So I'm just going to say it and um, yeah, you can make it cooler for yourself. Um, So the first thing that I have there is that women often lead in faith. I had no idea how I wanted to express this thought in like a statement Um, But the first thing that jumped off the pages to me is I began to read Acts chapter 16, um, were some of the things that happened in relationship to women in this passage. And so if you start with Timothy, um, the Bible tells us that Timothy followed his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, in faith. Um, It also says that under Lydia's influence, um, that her entire household came to faith and was baptized. And so it was just so interesting to me as I processed that through um, my own lens. Um, it wasn't lost on me the fact that Timothy's story isn't all that different than mine. Um, when I think about my own story, um, my journey of faith in my family really begins with my grandmother. And it's interesting to me that not only did my grandmother influence my mother um, in faith, but she influenced many others. Um, my grandmother was full of faith. She did not have the easiest life, but she was always joyful. And as I think about just her story, my grandmother never finished high school, yet she taught for years and years and years as a Sunday school teacher in the basement of Mount Pleasant Church, uh, where I grew up at. And it's just interesting for me to think about the fact that my grandmother, who did later in life go on to get her GED, which she was very proud of, Um, my grandmother who never finished high school may have taught and influenced more people for the gospel than I have. 
and I have three degrees from a Christian college. And so I just want to be able to say to us this morning that your station, um, your education, your gender in no way influences your ability to be used for the kingdom. Man, I'm like so proud of my gram this morning. Um, it was really cool. Someone actually just said to me um, within the last month or so about the influence of my grandmother on their life as a Sunday school teacher. And they're like, I don't think there was ever a time I was in that basement that your grandmother wasn't at one of those tables teaching Sunday school. And so my mom led, or my grandmother led my mom in faith. Um, and just a little bit about my story. My dad's not Greek, but he's German. And my dad was slower um, to Jesus than my mom was. Um, but I look at how my mom wooed my dad to Jesus. Uh, my dad did all the right stuff. Um, you know, he, he said the right things. They got married. Um, but it quickly became evident that his life hadn't changed at the level that it should have. Um, that he had done what he needed to do, you know, to jump through my mom's hoops in relationship, I guess. Um, we're good at that, guys. We really are. Um, but my mom wooed my dad to Jesus. And, you know, while I would say, you know, for me and most of my experience, my parents um, certainly led us together as a family. It's not lost on me that my mom clearly led in so many ways uh, for us growing up. Um, my dad, you know, has a different personality than my mom. And I would say, you know, my mom has more of the, the like, hard charger, and there was nothing that we were going to get away with um, outside of, like, you know, her control at least. And I just think about her, her like, antenna for things that are unhealthy for us. And I think about how hard she worked to put us in environments that we could receive more of God. Um, and so I'm so grateful for that example. And I think, man, I feel like Timothy's experience may have been a bit like mine in that regard. Um, I'm also grateful, like I mentioned to you, we don't know what ultimately became of, of Timothy's dad, but I hope that his dad is a bit more like my dad in that story, um, that his mom was able to woo um, his dad to Jesus as well. Um, but I, I want to say for us, you know, this morning that I, I know that this is a complicated conversation on some level, so I'm not intending to, you know, come at this from like all these different theological or social angles, but I do want to say this morning that spiritual leadership, leadership um, is not a competition. Um, it's never one size fits all, but it is a universal calling to every believer, male and female. We're all called to lead people toward Christ. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, in this example too, man, like a godly wife does not sit back and watch her husband lead. Um, husbands and wives, and even if you're not married, men and women should be doing everything in their ability to help each other excel in their leadership and influence for the kingdom. We all have different giftings, and we should be using them to lead people closer to Christ. If this can be true in a marriage relationship, it can certainly be true within the body of Christ. And so when I think about just another um, really practical example of this, um, I think about the influence that God is giving us in relationship to some other sister churches in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, Steve texted me about an opportunity, um, was it Friday or Saturday, that he had to go and teach another church how to pray. And I think that was what it was, right? Something like preach there? Okay, yeah, their night of worship. And, you know, Steve was asked to do that because I think on a certain level they, they've noticed something that they also want. And so they've asked us to be a part of it, and they asked Steve to come and speak at their night of worship. But I, I'm thinking about 
um, a recent occasion where several of us went out to a church in Akron, Ohio, uh, because of relationships from some of the women in this church to some of the women in that church. And they asked us just to come out and to be there and to pray with them because they sense that God is doing something new. They sense that they're on the cusp of some sort of spiritual breakthrough. And so they wanted us to come and share what we have, what God is giving us, because they sensed that and they saw that in the lives of four women that are part of this church. And so it wasn't lost on me as we were there and as I began to hear the stories and see how some of the things were playing out, that breakthrough in that church is largely coming under the leadership and influence of women who are encountering God in a very powerful way. You know what I'm talking about, Rich Collins, because you were there. Um, I think for all of us guys who were sitting there, it was so clear to me that it, were, that it was this group of women that was leading change and influencing this community for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So pray for Riverside Church. God's doing some cool stuff there, but there is so much more to come. My second point um, is that prayer is the primary means that we have to change the world. Um, this is one of my favorite parts of this whole passage because... I think that oftentimes when what we pray for happens, it comes to us in a way that's very different than what we may have expected. Um, Paul and his companions are moving by the Spirit of God, and look at where it takes them. Um, Paul, in this passage, says that twice, uh, it says twice um, that they went to a place to pray. And it's interesting to me that on their way to pray or during this prayer environment, um, they have these encounters. The first instance Um, They begin to meet and speak to a group of women uh, by the river. Uh, Lydia is one of the characters uh, that was a part of that gathering. And she comes to faith and influences her family for Jesus. Um, In my mind, at least, she's rich. She's cool. She's the kind of person you want to be around, right? They get to hang out at at her house, eat at her table. You know, I think about this in, like, our context, and I think she probably even drove a really cool car. Um, she was probably like that lady. It was like she probably whipped a cool like sports car. It was like, who didn't want to be around um, Lydia? And so the first time that they go to pray, that's their encounter. And I think we can all love that story. It's like we all want that stuff to happen. It's like, let's go pray. We go to pray. We bump into some people. We lead people to faith. Um, we get invited to their home. All of a sudden, there's like relationship. There's community. All this cool stuff happens. So that's what happens the first time um, that, that Paul prays. In the second instance, they're on their way to pray, and they bump into a demon-possessed female slave who calls out who they are and what they're all about. Um, it's interesting to me that if you ever want to know what Jesus is up to in the Scriptures, ask a demon. They always know. They're always calling it out. Um, Paul and Silas finally get to the point where they're so annoyed, they're so tired of listening to this, um, this female slave that they cast the demon out with a word, boom, Um, They cast the demon out in the name of Jesus, um, and in the process, they also ruined this little evil business enterprise, right? Um, So the people that own this slave girl, so this to me, this is like ancient human trafficking, right? Um, These guys are controlling this girl. She finds deliverance under, um, through Paul, and her life is forever changed. The business owners aren't happy about that, and so they come after Paul and Silas. They're thrown into jail, Um, So you think about the contrast in these two stories. In the first instance, super cool stuff happens. In the next instance, right, this is the same story, um, same place. Um, They get tossed into jail. And it doesn't just say that they were put in jail. It says that they were beaten, like a speed bag at Premier Fitness. And then they're put into the bowels of this prison, right? They're chained into the bowels of the prison. 
I don't know that they were that big of a threat, but clearly the authorities saw something in Paul and Silas. I expect that it was power, um, and they were very scared. Uh, they were very fearful of it. And so they're put into the, you know, the bowels of the prison, and what do Paul and Silas begin to do? Yeah, it says that they begin to pray and sing hymns. Um, it's remarkable to me. Um, so it's like, you know, they're in the prison, they're singing, bringing in the sheaves, and boom, earthquake. Um, do you guys know that one? That's an old school one. Um, that was Brooke and Andy, my, my wife Brooke and Andy's favorite song to kind of laugh about that they sang at church. So it's always stuck with me because they still sing it sometimes today, her and her brother, um, to each other. They remind each other of it. Um, so, you know, this happens, the earthquake, the shackles um, come off, and um, we have this encounter with a jailer where he's ready to take his own life. And with some level of authority, Paul tells him not to kill himself, right? And then he promises, um, or he, he preaches, or he, he speaks promise over this, uh, over this jailer um, that today, you know, if you believe in, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, right, today salvation is not just for you, but for who? Yeah, for everybody. Um, I love the fact that Paul didn't just see this as being limited to an ex- experience with a jailer, um, but that he saw this as an experience for the jailer and for his family, and probably not just for the jailer and his family, but for his community too. Um, God doesn't just save the jailer, uh, begins to work on the family. Um, let me ask you this morning. These are some thoughts that I had come to mind as, as I process through this. Do we pray beyond what we want and what we need to include the desperate needs of the people around us? Do we pray, God, rescue me, and while you're at it, use me to bring salvation to these people too? I love Paul's like creative, like prophetic prayer. Do we pray, God, get me out when our prayer should be? God, would you break in and transform this place? How do you reach a jailer? You send in prisoners. This wasn't a detour for Paul and Silas. This was the destination. If you're feeling a little crappy about your place in life right now, pray the kingdom into it and see what happens. Don't just pray that God will change your circumstances. Pray that God would change more than that. God, give us creative, prophetic prayers, not just for ourselves, but for our families and for our communities. Because we were saved for more than just ourselves. Um, I love the fact that at Crestmont, uh, we're this living, breathing reflection of Jesus. Uh, We are the body of Christ. Lydia comes to faith. And then she leads her family to faith in Jesus. The jailer gets saved, and then so does his family. Families are being redefined as kingdom families in this story. I think it's easy for us to love the first story of Paul and his companions praying and leading Lydia to faith, and then her family coming to faith as well. Um, I think we even love the story of Paul and Silas casting the demon out of the slave girl. But how many of us are willing to get stripped naked, beaten, and thrown into prison to see a jailer and his family come to Jesus? 
I think about like, you know, this whole idea of like covenant family, um, you know, what happens there in that passage. I think about a, a really tender story that one of my coworkers shared with me um, probably a couple of years ago. It was interesting. We were the only two um, in the space and something came up about um, her daughter. And it was interesting to me just to hear this tender um, explanation of like the really personal details of some of her daughter's experience. Um, her daughter does not know the Lord. She has children that know the Lord and she has one that doesn't. And so um, this daughter is her prodigal daughter. And I listened to her just tenderly share with me the pain of having a kid that was outside of the will of God, um, who was rebelling against what she had been brought up in. And I remember um, this mother saying to me about how sometimes her siblings get really angry with her and they get frustrated with her and they begin to call out all of the, the inconsistencies and the abuses that they see or the things that they feel like she takes advantage of within their family. And I remember her saying to me that she said to her kids one time, her grown adult kids, she said, how do you think this makes me feel? I'm her mother. And she then went on to say that she had said to her husband, she said, I'm convinced that God didn't save us for ourselves, but he saved us for our family. God wants us to be a covenant family and not just our family, but we want to grow a spiritual family. We had this really, really cool conversation about what that might look like. Um, and so, yeah, for us as a church, uh, what does it look like to have that kind of Pauline vision um, for salvation for people, right? To find yourself in the most horrible of circumstances, but to see it as exactly where God has placed you to bring somebody else into the kingdom. Um, it was through Paul's suffering, right, that this jailer and his family have a testimony of faithfulness in God. And who knows what else God did and how he used uh, those people in their community. And so the last thing here that I want to say is that in this, in my not creative, clever uh, way to say it, we're also supposed to be people of hospitality. Um, where does this all end up at the end of the chapter? Uh, it's at Lydia's house again. Of course, right? That's like the place that everybody wanted to be. It was like a really cool spot for them. So Paul and Silas, who just had the crap beaten out of them and were tossed into jail, are the ones that are encouraging the brothers and sisters at Lydia's house. Do you see like what happened there? They've just been through like this incredibly difficult situation, circumstance, yet it says that they are the ones who are sitting around the table encouraging the brothers and sisters about the work of Jesus Christ. It's because they were out there, right? They were doing the stuff. They'd seen God show up in real and powerful ways. Um, the Bible never says come to church, but it does say the kingdom has come. It says kingdom people build the kingdom wherever they are, at work, at home, in neighborhoods, at soccer games, and at grocery stores. Uh, friends, we don't have to wait for this Sunday morning worship gathering. Um, you can worship wherever you gather. Um, I, I heard this one time, and I thought it was appropriate. Um, I heard somebody say that the church is the who. It's who we are. The kingdom is the what. The church gathers and we get filled up and trained up and then we go out and we do the kingdom. We do the stuff that Jesus did and that the disciples did and that Paul did. Um, so, you know, you think about this all ending up at the table. Um, following Jesus should lead us to a table with friends and neighbors and coworkers and strangers and maybe even on some occasions our enemies. David said that, Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
and my cup overflows. Can I ask us a hard question this morning? Diane, do I have permission? Who's at our table? You will know that you are present in people's lives when you find yourself with them at the table. Look at how often Jesus was around a table with people. I don't know that anybody says it better than Henry Nouwen um, related to this idea of gathering people in this place of hospitality. Um, But Henry Nouwen says, a meal together is one of the most intimate and sacred human events. Around the table, we become vulnerable, filling one another's cups and plates and encouraging one another to eat and drink. Much more happens at a meal than satisfying hunger and quenching thirst. Around the table, we become family, friends, community, yes, a body. Who's at our table? And so as I wrap this up, um, I thought I'd wrap it up just by reminding us that this is a kingdom passage for kingdom people who want to live the kingdom like Jesus and Paul did. Here at Crestmont, Steve said it this morning, we hear it all the time, we say that we are a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered family on mission. And I really, really believe, deep in my bones, that we are experiencing right here some of what this passage speaks to. We're growing in prayer. We're learning to hear from the Lord. We're hearing from the Lord in new and exciting ways. God's showing up in dreams and visions. Um, He's encountering us in our homes and at corporate prayer gatherings. Uh, We have stories of salvations and baptisms and healings and deliverances and dreams and visions. That's all happening right here, right now. Each month we gather as a leadership team, uh, men and women, and we come together to talk about who God is and what he's doing in our community and where we sense he's taking us. And we create space in in that meeting just to share what we call God stories. Stories of how God showed up in our lives and in our experiences over the period of the the last month. I can promise you that there's never a shortage of stories to tell. Uh, There's never a time where we're like, put that out there and nobody has anything to say. Um, But it's because of the influence of Jesus Christ in people's lives. It's because people are out there doing the stuff. They're building the kingdom. Um, I really believe that we're in the early stages of a movement of women being empowered to lead the church in new and powerful ways. I say this to Joel all the time. Our women are crushing it here. Men, pay attention to what's happening with our women. We have a lot to learn from them. I see our women getting healed up, filled up, trained up, and raised up. It's so powerful. It's so good. And it's going to keep getting better. Can I just say that I've had the privilege, I mentioned that we sit around this leadership table together. Um, I've had the privilege of doing that here for almost 20 years. And for most of my experience, it's been a bit more of like a good old boys club. And it's always been good. Clarence, you and I have done this for a long time together. Steve, some of you others, Steve Johnson. I've always, always liked it. It's always been one of my favorite things to do um, each month is to come to this four-hour meeting, which wouldn't be super appealing for a lot of folks. Um, but we eat together and we share what God's doing. And I can remember when we began to make the transition to include women in our leadership voice. And I can remember some of the internal struggle for me in that, just to be honest with you, because I really liked what I had with my guys. It was really good. 
But I can promise you, I stand here today and say that it's never been better um, to see the way that these different voices and these different influences have begun to shape us as a leadership team in a church. Um, I've never been more excited about it, and it's never been better. I also believe that we're creating time and space for hospitality in ways that we haven't before. We're inviting people in, and we're going out to get them. You can't influence a world that you refuse to touch, so we have to bring people in close. Let them experience the warmth and the invitation of Jesus. Let them see our flaws and our warts and our shortcomings, but let them see how Jesus is healing us up and filling us up. I've never been so encouraged and excited and challenged and convicted about where we are as a church as I am right now, and I think this is just the beginning. God is doing a new thing here, and he wants to do so much more. The last thing that I want to say is that I really believe um, that we are in a season of favor, season of favor with God and with people. But I also want to say that favor isn't being in the right place at the right time. It's being in the right place for long enough. You have to be willing to stay. You have to be willing to sit in it. You have to be willing to let God work through all of these issues and all these challenges that we come and that we bring with us. And it's only in real community that those things get exposed, but that Jesus heals them up. I remember somebody saying a long time ago that real community is like camping in the desert without tents. All of your stuff is out there. And so I think if we're really going to find favor, if we're going to find favor in our community, if we're going to find favor in the city of Aliquippa, it's going to be because we stayed long enough to see God show up and to begin to do what he does. You're all welcome. Uh, and we want to be a part with you in this kingdom movement. And so the challenge is to stay and to stay long enough and to pray hard enough and to serve boldly enough to see whatever it is that God wants to do come into being.